Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the January 2021 episode of News and Brew Sports Biz, our podcast and video series that features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Katie Davis, and I'm here with Ken Kurtzel. Ken, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a time when things are just precedented instead of being unprecedented all the time. So while you know, 2021 is a giant question mark. Um, we didn't expect it to be like, hey, 2020, hold my beer. Um, but <laughs> now that we're 10 months into the pandemic, and um, I feel like there's a lot more clarity and direction around where things may be headed, um, as opposed to a complete uncertainty that was at the start of the pandemic. Um, so with that, I thought we would come up with a new hot topics list as we're starting off 2021 um, based on what we're seeing across the higher education and collegiate athletics industries. Uh, but first things first, Ken, let's toast to a new year um, that's bound to only get better from here on out. Uh, what are you having today? I am drinking uh, Dense Fog Advisory uh, from one of our favorite Gainesville breweries, uh, First Magnitude. and. Um, Anybody who's watched or listened to our podcast on here knows that uh, we're all about hazy IPAs and it's a hazy double IPA and honestly is one of the best ones they've ever made. It's amazing. It's a great start to 2021. Um, so I'm very happy about that beer. Yeah, it, that one is a good one. I've had that one too. Um, I am having uh, another first magnitude brew. I'm not drinking the whole bottle today. Um, <laughs> But this is called Alapaha Rise, and it's a maple bourbon barrel aged imperial chestnut brown ale, and it is very good. Um, so cheers to 2021. Cheers to 2021. So off to a rough start, but hopefully we uh, we get better going forward. So Exactly. Um, so we're going to share our top five hot topics. And the first one that we wanted to um, put out there for everybody is that January 15th, um, is the NCAA agreed upon procedures and financial reporting system deadline. So we wanted to give you some quick last minute reminders as you're wrapping that up. Um, Ken, do yeah. you wanna start with sharing um, some things you think about that? Absolutely, uh, anybody who's listened uh, to us previously has probably heard the line, tell your financial story. Um, it's something that we're big advocates for here at James Warren Company and the uh, collegiate athletic clients that we work with, we spend a lot of time with them um, talking about how they can use their agreed upon procedures report to tell their financial story a little bit better, mm -hmm. knowing that it oftentimes uh, can get skewed from reports that uh, most notably the USA Today and others um, will pick up on the um, on these reports and, and tell a different story. So some of the ways they can do that are through the addition of certain disclosures uh, that can give information to the reader um, a big part, though, is really helping to educate others on campus uh, about what the report does and doesn't report and some of the unique aspects of it. Um, another thing is to provide it online, maybe make it available online, even with some commentary. So again, um, you know at some point uh, that the USA Today or your local paper is going to get a Freedom of Information Act and is going to um, get this report and then write stories on it. So try to get out ahead of that. Uh, try to tell the story before you have the story told for you, so to speak. So those are some of the big things that we have. And I know you have some other ideas too, probably, Katie. Well, yeah, I mean, I, the FOIA point is very, um, a good point, especially this year heading into COVID when mm -hmm. you've probably likely already received that information and have been communicating with media as things have progressed through the pandemic. And, um, you know, I spoke recently with um, a 
a sports blogger, Matt Brown, and uh, was featured in one of his articles and where I said one of my biggest pet peeves was that people don't understand the reporting and people um, miss misspeak when they're reporting on that information. And so, you know, as you've been going through and projecting losses, the last thing you want to do is um, reflect that you've got a huge surplus um, because the NCAA uh, financial reporting model doesn't take everything into account. Um, we actually recommend to our clients, if that's the case, when you're looking at that that lot, that subtotal and you're seeing that that um, doesn't feel like what you've been projecting and it's going to um, communicate the wrong message, you can move some of the lines that are the other reported items below the line. Um, for example, line 56 is your capital expenditures. We highly recommend that you move that line up above the line uh, so that you can show um, those capital expenditures coming out as well to get to your true bottom line. Um, the NCAA has approved this format and I think it just tells a lot better story. Um, if you're not uh, comfortable doing that, at least have a supplemental disclosure that further explains it and also educate those on campus that respond to FOIAs to not only provide the what you submit to the NCAA, but also provide your more detailed agreed upon procedures anytime anyone's requesting that information. Um, the other thing is um, making sure that because we are still continuing to see errors in the grants and aid revenue distribution equivalency calculations that Generally, it's what happens when you're not using NCAA Compliance Assistant and you're using another third-party software such as ARMS or Jump Forward. Those revenue distribution equivalencies aren't calculated correctly, and um, it, you could be leaving money on the table. Not that there's a ton of extra money at the NCAA to go around this year, but it's still going to potentially be less coming to you if you're not calculating that correctly. So double check that and make sure your compliance team understands the difference between the different equivalencies out there and that you're um, pulling the right one in for the grants and aid revenue, revenue distribution, uh, which takes the um, cost of attendance into account and some other things that, that are different between the two. And for more information on that, we have some articles on our website where you can read up a little bit more on details there. But again, you know, we know that you're trying to get as much revenue as possible right now and, would hate for you to leave that on the table. Absolutely, definitely not the year to leave it on the table as we um, have the, the hardest year ever probably for collegiate athletics from a uh, dollar standpoint and you know, really looking probably at the next year being pretty significantly impacted as well. Yes, for sure. Um, so moving on to hot topic number two, um, we wanna share with you a little bit about late December, uh, an additional 90 billion of COVID stimulus funds was approved. Um, and there is a quite an impact on higher education as well as the sports business and the general public, um, which is made up of your fans. So um, Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the impacts to higher education? Absolutely, yes, the, um, the coronavirus, well, the, um, the COVID relief package that had a lot of drama around it. Um, it was the type of thing that, um, that passed Congress and then uh, Trump uh, threatened to veto it and then uh, finally ended up signing it after a while. So we, it was kind of touch and go um, as to whether or not that would uh, come into fruition, but it, it, fortunately it did. Uh, and yeah, the overall package is 900 billion. Um, there's about 23 billion, just shy of 23 billion that's assigned to institutes of higher education. 
Um, and that's a little bit more than the CARES Act, but still well less than what higher education in Cuba were really pushing for. Um, but nonetheless, 23 billion is gonna be distributed. Um, there's various aspects uh, of that distri distribution that um, you know impact how much each institution gets, um, but it will help athletics indirectly, um, even if not directly in the sense that uh, they can, institutions can use some of these funds, um, you know, associated with the additional testing that's required um, related to the pandemic um, to help defray some of the costs that are associated with uh, increased pandemic costs. Uh, there's a lot of complexities about how the funds are to be spent uh, specifically, but um, none, nonetheless, it certainly helps institutions to have something coming uh, that can indirectly benefit athletics. Um, we do have a good article on our webpage that uh, goes into a little bit more detail on how that all gets allocated. Um, one other aspect that um, many of our listeners and viewers have probably heard about is it, it also um, expands the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP, as it's better known, uh, creates a round two of funding on that. Not a lot of higher education institutions would necessarily be eligible for that since it doesn't apply to governments and, um, it, you know, it's, it's, but it does expand uh, to a couple other nonprofits like 501c6s. Um, it does allow for a second round of that for uh, institutions or organizations that may have received uh, a first round payment on that. If you have a 25% revenue decline in any quarter this year, uh, there is an opportunity to apply for a second round of funding. Uh, so that's something definitely, especially for nonprofit organizations uh, that support the universities. If you have employees, uh, be looking at that as whether or not you may or may not be eligible for it. Um, you know, again, every bit helps. Well, so what do you think about athletic associations that are separate 501c3s and whether they should go for it, whether they're allowed to go for it, or are there any roadblocks that prohibit them from it, even if I mean, if, gr granted, if it hits the papers, people are going to have a, a fit about it. But at the end of the yeah. day, everyone needs money and this is stimulus money out there for you. But can you talk about some of the roadblocks there? Yeah, the public perception certainly is one that uh, that an institution would need to look at, um, because as we saw with some of the public companies uh, that went after funds in the first round, they were quite frankly, they were publicly shamed into giving the money back. Um, so even though athletics has had a massive revenue hit and, um, you know, there's no, no question from a, a stamp fiscal standpoint that there is need there, um, you know, there could be a perception issue uh, associated with that. So I think institutions would need to look at that. Probably the, the main thing that will stop a lot of um, those that are set up as associations is just the employee count, you know, which um, you know, is looking at really the, the round two is looking at those with employee counts of 300 or less. Uh, so most of the ones that we work with um, and have talked to obviously are well north of that number and as far as number of FTEs that they have. So that's probably the big, the big um, roadblock for a lot of them. But again, some ancillary organizations that, that may be set up to support athletics or to support the university um, that have smaller numbers of employees, um, you know, that it might be something worth looking into. And we have seen, you know, in a couple of clients' cases, uh, we have seen it in the higher education area. It's, it's on the rare side, but it does exist. Yeah, I mean, I think, especially if you have a separate booster club, um, look yeah. into that, but also look into um, any 
particular, especially if you're a public school and your state might have some restrictions on what you can take out um, debt for, um, because technically the PPP is a loan that, you know, if you meet all the requirements, it gets forgiven, but that can be another roadblock that we've seen. Um, Absolutely. You know, that keeps athletic associations or really any, potentially any uh, supporting organization for a university from being able to um, tap into these funds. Right, right, definitely. Um, more specific to the sports business, um, you mentioned the 501c6s didn't qualify for PPP the first round and they do now. And right. another really important um, type of 501c6 organization is your um, convention and visitors bureaus. So what that means is they're able to hire, um, which hopefully that means they can hit the ground running on more youth sporting events and other marquee events that uh, come to your cities. And what I would recommend you do is have some proactive outreach with your local um, visitors bureau, or if you have a sports commission locally that's working to bring these events to your town. Um, and I would say your facilities are probably more um, ideal uh, this year than maybe in the past for a similar event just because they're larger and you would you know these events would want to have more comfort with additional social social distancing so um, this could be a really good win as you're looking for some alternative revenue generators potentially you know these funds come from the state level and, and maybe beyond and that could shift some to you as well if you're willing to give your um, facilities up for these types of events. And if you can proactively work with these organizations and help pull strings to lobby for them to come to your town, I think that would be a huge benefit to the local businesses as well as um, utilization of your facilities right now. Um, and speaking of facilities, there's also in this um, the stimulus package, there's about uh, 15 billion of grant program for live venues. So your stadiums and your arenas that have lost at least 25% of revenues due to the pandemic. Um, I haven't read up details on that um, yet, but what I plan to do is look further into that to, to see yeah. what, how do they define venue and revenue? Is it something that if your stadium um, is part of your university's um, capital assets, does that qualify or do, does it have to be a separate legal entity to qualify? So we're looking into some of that and uh, plan to put some information out there soon about that. So keep an eye out for that as Absolutely. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other thing that we're seeing out of the um, out of the big package is, of course, uh, the most famous, the big headline part about it is the stimulus to individuals, the $600 per person uh, that goes out. Um, and then there's additional talk, uh, especially with um, Democrats taking control of the Senate through the Georgia runoffs of uh, increasing that to $2,000. Uh, you know, there was a lot of a lot of press about that. So we'll have to see where legislation goes um, in the next few weeks as the administration changes um, and whether that gets bumped up to 2,000. But certainly, um, again, the indirect benefit of, you know, looking at athletics and looking at, you know, just the fact that um, collegiate athletics are part of the oftentimes discretionary funds that, uh, that people have, you know, so every bit that, uh, that helps the general economy, that helps uh, put money in people's pockets can, you know, have a trickle down effect. Um, not substantial, probably, because obviously there's much, much bigger needs. Uh, but 
to the extent that there is more money in pockets does allow for hopefully more money coming into um, discretionary type uh, entertainment, you know, uh, related type funds. Um, the other thing that we're seeing in it too is the um, the stimulus that uh, has as pieces for the purchase and distribution of vaccines. Um, and so a lot of the higher education uh, institutions we work with have very robust um, you know, health areas uh, that are um, gonna be a big part of the, the vaccine distribution, uh, typically working hand in hand with their public health departments. So I would expect to see funds definitely flow through the higher education landscape um, related to that distribution of vaccines part. Well, not only that, but, you know, having the funds to be able to distribute vaccines to the public, that's just going to get them vaccinated faster and get them, you know, able to, um, you know, come to a game, hopefully in the fall. Well, and we, you know, we certainly know we out. can't get the fans in the stands until that happens. Yep. Yep. Um, well, number three hot topic, um, Ken already alluded to this, but it's the impacts of the election and the changes to administration. Uh, and how that's going to impact higher ed education and college athletics. Yeah, and that's a, um, obviously a big unknown, but there's no doubt there would be a big impact. Um, you know, a couple of the things that we're seeing that are likely under a Biden administration is um, expansion of the Pell Grants, um, which can again have indirect benefits to all uh, parts of a university. Uh, the battle, that'll certainly be on the table. Um, Biden has made, made clear that he wants to increase that. He wants a, a big overhaul of uh, financial aid in general, um, not necessarily athletics related, but uh, student loans are something that's on the table, um, a general over, you know, overhaul of the whole financial aid process is very likely. Um, certainly not the expert on it. We'd have to go back to our friend from a, a recent podcast, uh, Justin, who talked a little bit about Title IX, um, it's undoubted that uh, there could be some some impacts to Title IX with a, a new education secretary. So um, there's various impacts, and we're kind of working on uh, an article about that that we hope to publish and get out there uh, soon that, um, that talks about some of the various impacts of a new administration. But we know that undoubtedly it's going to be significant. Yeah, I mean, anything I think related to financial aid that can continue to encourage people to enroll um, because mm -hmm. there's assistance for them to uh, be able to pay for their college courses. Um, enrollment numbers are a huge metric for right. college athletics. Um, whether you are funded by student fees or not, it still has an indirect impact for you all. And I know a lot of you do rely on student fees very heavily, uh, and, and that will be a huge benefit to um, your programs and um, you know not only is it with the change in the Biden administration but the change in the majority of Congress I think will impact uh, some of the NIL movements of course right now that's another giant question mark but um, you know a week or so ago Tom McMillan came out and made his comments about how he thought he would that we would see a shift of course there's going to have to be some give and take between all the different federal bills that are out there and thankfully it is supported um, by both parties but um, there will probably be a lot more built in than just the basic NIL stuff with the uh, Democratic Party taking the majority and um, that could have uh, you know a huge impact but again I don't think it's going to happen at the federal level anytime soon just because of everything dealing with COVID and the other changes in administration. 
Um, but then there's a second roadblock uh, with NIL that's not necessarily specific to uh, the elections, but um, you know the NCAA was going to vote on their um, guidelines that they were planning to put out. And of course, they've delayed that because the Department of Justice has come out and made some claims about antitrust. And of course, that's um, got everyone concerned right now. And so that's been put on pause. Um, but the NAIA has um, effectively rolled out their own guidelines related to name, image, and likeness. And there have been articles of some student athletes that have started to um, you know, earn money off of their name, image, and likeness. Um, and so that's that's interesting to see at the NAIA level. And I think the NCAA should watch that and see where the trends are going to really understand um, you know, my personal opinion is you're going to have maybe 50 athletes that are going to be the, you know, bringing in the big dollars from sponsorships, but you're going to have a significant majority of your athletes that are just getting apparel or a little right. bit of money or other, you know, products here and there as they're doing, um, you know, advertising for these companies on social media. So um, you'll want to make sure that you're keeping an eye on that and encouraging, um, you know, encouraging fair guardrails uh, that make sense and that aren't going to create too much of a hassle when July comes around and Florida um, goes live with this, as well as, you know, other states are soon to follow. And, um, you know, I think eventually Congress will have to get to it, but I'm skeptical it's going to happen before July. Oh, I strongly agree with you. Absolutely. There's a lot of there's a lot of big things on the docket. And, you know, when mm -hmm. they get to NIL will be a big question. Yeah. So hot topic number four is the impact of moving fall sports into the winter and spring seasons. And uh, now schools are starting to feel that. I would say that, um, you know, it's it's kind of like, OK, we're going to kick the can. We're going to keep people safe. And oh, now we're doing a lot and with less. Yeah. Um, so, Kim, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, it's uh, I think you said it well. It's one of those things that, um, you know, initially, I mean, undoubtedly, uh, conferences and schools knew that it was going to be challenging, but then probably are, you know, facing now the the real big impacts of that. Uh, just thinking the logistics of kind of piling sports seasons on top of sports seasons. And, you know, there's only so many operations people that probably are. Uh, in each uh, school's department or association. And then um, that number could be even lower than it was a year ago with uh, layoffs that have occurred. So you have manpower shortages combined with uh, doubling up on certain sports. Um, and then, you know, just the pure logistics of kind of trying to manage all of that when you're short staffed. Um, I absolutely don't envy anybody who's in uh, in that role of operations for um, for athletics right now trying to balance all of this while all still, you know, even though um, we do have the vaccine and it's starting to come out and there's maybe bright times coming ahead, we're still, you know, in a deep dark spot with this right now. So trying to keep all of your student athletes safe while at the same time managing multiple sports that are in different seasons now. And um, yeah, it's honestly, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it is. And, and we've heard this from multiple schools at all levels. And, um, you know, I think, there's something to be said for watching and observing and learning as uh, schools navigated football season. Um, yeah. But 
there's still so much uncertainty and, you know, how you handle a football team with a large roster is very different than how you would have to handle some smaller rosters like basketball and um, even your other Olympic sports. And so, um, you know, the COVID testing, it adds up um, and there continue to be cash flow shortages. So, you know, each school that we're talking to is um, a little bit different on how their conference handles it and how it's funded there as well as what's available um, within your institution. So um, regardless though, that's a huge hit to the budget. Um, so looking at that, looking at what is it going to look like when your athletes are able to get the vaccine and, uh, and how does that shift your um, budgeting and even time allotment from going from testing to, um, to vaccine and you know are you going to have to continue to test after that i mean there's a lot of questions related to that um but as you're going through this the winter and spring season just keeping an eye on your students and your staff and yourselves um, from a mental health standpoint as well as keeping an eye on your financial budgeting and, and the ramifications that come from a delayed uh, sporting season that now has um, you know a significant amount of expenditures related to um, participation and travel and and etc. So um, definitely keep an eye on that. And um, we're thinking about you and we're rooting for your teams to have a successful season and for your athletes to feel fulfilled in what they love doing. Um, but then there's also the um, pipeline of future athletes and yeah. how how does this impact recruiting? Well, certainly there is an impact to recruiting too. And this year is a complicated year. It um, is the, the best kind of nicest way to put it. You know, uh, everybody's well aware of the fact that athletes get an extra year of eligibility that this year doesn't count. Um, so that's creating kind of a one year bubble um, of, you know, we'll, we'll see how many athletes take advantage of that. Um, it could be that there's a good number of seniors that are kind of ready to get on with life. Uh, for whether it's professional sports or or other uh, that, that that won't necessarily take advantage of it, although I would expect there to be some that do. Um, there's you know increased numbers of people, especially in football, in the transfer market. A really good article um, or an interview that Greg Sankey from the SEC had with Sports Illustrated the other day about talking about the challenges of uh, in in football, the the 25 initial counters and um, how that gets impacted by the transfer market and and all of this you know and that really the ncaa really needs to seriously look at making a modification on that front so i think recruiting is challenging right now um, it's challenging obviously also just from a logistics standpoint of it's it's not the traditional recruiting year uh that, that most coaches are used to so um yeah again it kind of comes back to it's it's all a little bit of a mess and, and schools are making the best of it that they can well, and the schools that chose to defer their fall seasons into the winter and spring, hopefully some of the the prospects that you were looking at are still looking at you and haven't moved on to another school right. that did participate in the fall because, um, you know, they were in front of them. So, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of challenges related to that and, and unintended consequences for any of these choices that are made right now. Unfortunately, um, there's no there's no right choice and there's no winner um when it right. comes to the pandemic obviously so um right. you know i think i do think everyone's doing the best they can in the circumstances and hopefully these um athletes find a, a great opportunity for them wherever they go and hopefully your programs continue to be successful with a, a pipeline of new athletes coming in absolutely 
Um, so hot topic number five is the um, just speculating on fall 2021 and beyond. And um, you know, I mentioned before about cash flow challenges <clears throat> for schools that um, you know either delayed sports or didn't have the revenues coming in, um, especially some of the larger programs that have boosters that allow their boosters to roll their contributions into the 2021 football season um, instead of taking a refund. And so really that just kicked the can and hopefully those uh, boosters will come in 2021 and feel safe doing so. But, um, you know, I think that just because things start to turn around, that doesn't mean the cash flow is going to turn around right away. Oh, no, definitely not. <clears throat> as, as you mentioned, um, uh, this is a multi-year impact, obviously, even if even under the best case scenarios of um, kind of getting things back on track sometime this summer or fall, um, the fiscal impact is going to be felt for multiple years. But um, as you mentioned, though, looking at fall 2021, you know, most um, the good part about that is we can at least talk with some level of hope. You know, the vaccines um, are getting rolled out. Um, unfortunately, there's you know, as you've seen in the press, it's uh, it's a little slow, uh, and that's discouraging. You know the um, the slowness of getting it out, but um, I think there's great hope that that it will start to accelerate here. Um, the Biden administration has a plan of trying to have you know they talk about it 100 million shots in 100 days, um, which I think that you know there's got to be bipart bipartisan support for that. I mean the idea of actually getting the vaccine rolled out as fast as possible so that um, that we can get to some level of of herd immunity that um, that then allows fans to actually want to come back and allows uh, the stadiums to start to fill up again, you know, giving giving that confidence that we need uh, that we're past the pandemic and can kind of go back to some level of normal, even if it's not our old normal um, is huge. So um, I'm choosing to remain optimistic and I you know, certainly can't wait till I get the opportunity uh, in, in turn to get a vaccine. Um, and then, you know, really looking at, <clears throat> we're looking at schools that um, are trying to take a hard look at fall 2021 and see, uh, you know, what's going to sell. I mean, hopefully we're selling a lot more seats than uh, we, we were able to do this past year. But, you know, also looking at are there ways to create more premium options uh, in stadiums without spending a lot of money, uh, knowing that a lot of schools have had good success with their premium uh, seating, and it could be that that's really kind of the prime area that there's opportunity to um, to get to get people back in the stands on, and then um, you know also just giving that level of confidence that um, that it's safe uh, and that the um, that the fans can come back. And you know certainly the older you are, the the, the more um, the more challenged that might be. You know, so again, it's really going to come down to a confidence level that uh, that enough of our society has either had the vaccine or had the virus and that we're somehow past these surges to, to really get people confident about buying tickets again and getting back to the stadiums. I mean, I think regardless, all schools need to go into the fact that um, fan experience is not going to be the same. So right. how you are approaching that, how you're strategizing around it, you need to reset and think about it and think, okay, we can't go back to the way we used to do things. Um, we'd love to get some of your older um, boosters back in the seats. Um, and hopefully a lot of them will, but it, chances right. are some of them won't. And it's time to start looking at engaging um, some of your younger fan base and getting them excited about coming. 
I did like, um, you know, what with the college football playoff and what I was seeing online about how um, concession stands were operating and you could, there's a QR code at your seat and you can order um, from your seat. And essentially right. it's, a, it's an entire cashless experience um, that really there wasn't a significant capital outlay to handle that. And that's just the convenience of getting right. food and beverage at your seat. Um, so I, we've talked to a lot of schools about this and I think it's going to be something that they're really going to have to challenge themselves and think about how can we create a premium experience that gets people to want to get off their couch and outside of their upgraded living rooms that they've invested in over the last year and come back. And, um, really, I think it's the, the stuff outside of the stadium, it's the tailgating, it's the, um, you know, interacting with with your team if there's um you know a way to cheer them on as they're heading into the stadium or um getting getting your marching band involved to get the fans rallied and and it be i mean coming to sporting events as much as it is cheering on your team it's also very social and yes um mm -hmm. we're gonna have to slowly allow some of that social interaction to happen again right. to get people really <laughs> interested to come back yeah, I think there's definitely, I mean, hopefully what we'll see is there's a strong yearning to be back and have that experience that can't be replicated in your living room of actually being with fellow fans of your team and cheering them on and smelling the tailgates and, and all of that and really just kind of making that a big part of drawing people back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you're thinking about this, um, you know, you're thinking about it from a budgeting standpoint as well. And talked talk to a school last week that said um, they were in the middle of their 2022 budgeting process and taking it to the university's board mm -hmm. to approve it. And, you know, it's a challenge any year to explain your budget and explain just athletics operations and budgeting in general to people that don't see it every day. And then taking on top of that, the uncertainties that you're having to project out into 2022 now. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, there is some clarity that, I think you know that you really don't know where before it was like, okay, this is going to be a hiccup and we'll be able to come back. And now it's like, no, this is the long game. Um, so there's more clarity around that and being a little more conservative and budgeting, but realistic and knowing this is what we're going to need to be able to sustain our programs and sustain them successfully and keep our athletes safe and our fans safe. And so, um, you know, being able to project that out and communicate that based on, you know, different revenue models that are coming in, uh, you know, with hopes of having more fans or more sponsorships and things like that as things start to turn around. Um, but it's really hard to look that far ahead, especially now. Um, so I I um, empathize with you and we're always happy to be a sounding board to any of you that, um, you know, want to talk through it or even just vent <laughs> um, <laughs> because it is frustrating to have to be able to communicate that to other stakeholders around your campus that don't really understand athletics very well. Right, absolutely. And and the other thing to communicate, and we talked about this in our December episode, was um, name, image, and likeness. And right. you know, this is this is hitting the news. It's a hot topic. People don't understand it. People don't understand the difference between state legislation, federal legislation, NCAA legislation, and and what the you know really who drives the ultimate decision. And, um, you know, they don't understand how athletes are getting paid. So the more you can explain some of that and and we understand you're building into your budgets 
some pretty large dollars to bring in some of these consultants to help you with NIL because let's face it, it's it's a huge recruiting advantage just to even say that you're um, engaging with somebody. So, um, you know, keep, keep people informed um, about that as you're learning more about it. And, um, you know, don't jump the gun too much, but there are some issues that you're going to have to stay on top of that are regardless of the rules. And that's, um, you know, educating your student athletes on, um, you know, having protecting your your school's brand while they're promoting their own brand right. um, <clears throat> educating them on how to handle finances um i've said this before but one of the things that really concerns me is some of your student athletes that are partials and they also re rely on pell grants and are they going to make a mistake by getting some small sponsorship from somebody that's going to um you know potentially disallow them from getting financial aid and and what's that tipping point look like based on your yep. school and to really just start to read up on that and learn about mm -hmm. it and talk to your athletes and their parents um, and, and your staff internally to really, really just stay ahead of it um, as you're looking into the fall and beyond. Because like I said, July is going to be here before we know it. So some of these schools are going to start dealing with it pretty quickly. Absolutely. It's a brave new world. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so Thank you all for uh, tuning in and hearing our take on what we think the hot topics are heading into 2021. Um, Want to give you one quick announcement. Um, the CABMA um, and NACTA conventions, of course, have been um, moved to a virtual setting. And the one great thing that I think CABMA is doing is they're engaging membership um, throughout the year with various webinar opportunities. We will be uh, putting some information out there soon about an upcoming webinar in February that we'll be um, facilitating for the CABMA members. And we're excited to get to see you all virtually um, and really excited for 2022 when we can see you all again in person. Um, but thank you to our listeners for tuning into News & Brews Sports Biz as we advocate for the financial voices in college athletics to be heard. If there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, or if you'd like to join us, please contact us through our website at jmco.com. And in the meantime, you can follow us on social media for more news as the collegiate athletics landscape continues to rapidly evolve. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.